0: You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 60 of the show. Another milestone marker. 60 episodes. I appreciate you guys still continuing to listen uh, as I enjoy... Uh, bringing you the sports content each and every week. But uh, this episode's a good one. Uh, we, of course, we have some NFL Super Wild Card Weekend football to recap. We'll do a standings update in the NBA, in the NHL, some big news in the NHL that came out this past week. And then, uh, of course, we'll recap some PGA Tour golf, which is actually where we're going to start uh, this past weekend's tournament was the Sony Open in Hawaii, and that was at the YLA Country Club in Honolulu. It was a par 70, distance of 7,044 yards. Now, if you remember the week before last, they were also in Hawaii. This Sony Open was the second of two events in Hawaii. Uh, the first one was a Century Tournament of Champions. That was at Kapalua, very undulating and wide open whereas YLA Country Club this past weekend was much flatter, much narrower, so it made it a little tougher to play. Um, Over the last 10 years, the average winning score here at YLA was 19 under. If you recall the Century Tournament of Champions, Cam Smith set a record with a 34 under, so we knew we were probably going to see some pretty low scores this weekend. and uh, The field was pretty good in this one. 23 of the 40 players that played at Kapalua in the Century Tournament of Champions – made it over to the Sony Open. It would have been 24 out of 40, but Bryson DeChambeau had to withdraw due to an injury. So since the Century Tournament of Champions moved back to Hawaii in 1999, 16 of the 23 Sony Open winners have also played the week prior at Kapalua. Well, after this year, it's now 17 out of the past 24 winners at the Sony Open, have played the week before, and that's because Hideki Matsuyama won the Sony Open in Hawaii for his eighth career victory on tour. It was actually his second victory during this young season, which makes him the first two-time winner so far this calendar year. And with that victory, Hideki Matsuyama currently sits third in wins by active players who are 30 years old or younger. He trails only Justin Thomas with 14 and Jordan Spieth with 12 in that category. So he's a Masters champion from a year ago. Uh, He's looking really good, and uh, he's playing some high-level golf right now. And this this tournament came down to uh, a playoff hole, actually. It was Hideki Matsuyama versus Russell Henley. Now, in order to get to that playoff hole, uh, Matsuyama had to play some damn good golf because Russell Henley was your uh, 54-hole leader. And uh, Matsuyama was in contention, but uh, not, uh, I guess, a name that you maybe thought was going to win. But nonetheless, uh, they both finished with a score of 23 under par. Now, Russell Henley, he uh, like I said, he had a 54-hole lead in this thing. And he came out guns blazing uh, in that opening nine. He ended up going... Uh, six under, shot at 29. He had four birdies and an eagle on the front nine. Gave him a tremendous lead over Matsuyama, who had only gone three under on that front nine. In fact, uh, Henley had a five-shot lead with nine holes left to play. And Matsuyama ended up going four under on the back nine. Henley went one over. So that is your five-shot difference there. The playoff hole, they replayed. Uh, hole 18 which is a par 5 and on that par 5 Matsuyama just hit an unbelievable second shot about 275 yards or so out uh, with a with a hybrid and just landed it right on the green and made the putt for an eagle Henley bogeyed so that gave Matsuyama the victory in the first playoff hole um, so Matsuyama ended up shooting at seven under 63 in that final round to catch Russell Henley so they both finished at 23-under. Of course, Matsuyama wins with the playoff hole victory. Uh, there was a two-way tie for third between Kevin Kistner and Seamus Power. They both were at 19-under, which four shots back of Matsuyama and Henley. And then a two-way tie for fifth between Michael Thompson and Lucas Glover. They were at 18-under par. And there was a handful of guys at 17, one at 16, and then another handful at 15-under par. So pretty good uh, tournament, of course, just beautiful sights and scenery there in Hawaii. But this weekend, the PGA Tour heads over back to the mainland here, in the United States, and uh, Southern California for the American Express. And this tournament is different in the fact that it uses three courses throughout the entirety of the weekend. Last year was the first time it didn't use three, it only used two of the courses, but this year they're going back to the traditional three courses. The courses are as follows. They're all uh, about a sou- little southeast of Los Angeles. It's The first one is the La Quinta Country Club. That's a par 72 distance, 7,060 yards. The PGA West, there's two courses there at PGA West. The Nicholas Tournament course, that's also a par 72 distance, 7,159 yards. And then the PGA Stadium uh, Stadium course, which is par seventy-two. Distance, 7,113 yards. So they're all par 72s. Uh, The Nicholas tournament course is the longest by about 40 yards over the stadium course. And um, the stadium course will be used in the final round. That is by far the toughest of the three. Uh, And there is a pro-am portion of this tournament. And basically the American Express pro-am portion returns this year after being eliminated last year. So each professional golfer is going to be grouped with some amateurs for the first three rounds before the low 65 pros and the ties to get to 65 will play the final round at the stadium course. So there's all three of the courses will be used uh, all weekend long. I believe each golfer is going to play one round each of their first three rounds at those three courses. And then the final round will be at the stadium course. So the field is a good one. Uh, World number one, John Rahm, uh, will be there along with last year's FedEx Cup champion, Patrick Cantlay, who actually last year set a course record at the stadium course with a final round of 61 last year. Um, Phil Mickelson's going to tee it up this week as well. Uh, 2021 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year from last year, Will Zalatoris, He's going to be out there. It's his first tournament here in this new calendar year. And then some other notable participants, uh, Ricky Fowler, Gary Woodland, Alex Noren, and Francesco Molinari. Now, there is a South African golfer who is making his PGA Tour debut this weekend. His name is James Hart Dupreeze. Like I said, he's from South Africa. He's 6 feet 10 inches tall, and he averaged... Last year on the Sunshine Tour, his drives averaged 373 yards, which is roughly 40 yards further than Bryson DeChambeau hits on tour here. So the guy's just a monster. He can drive the ball a mile. I'm interested to see how he's going to do here on tour. It is his debut. He'll be playing with some of the Best golfers. I know there's, there's not too many highly ranked players in the field, but uh, there's, there's quite a few names that you'll recognize. So it's going to be another good weekend to golf. We're back here again, like I said, stateside uh, in the U.S. Uh, of course, Hawaii uh, was kind of a limited participant uh, tournament. Not, not a whole lot of guys made the trip. I mean, uh, the 40 for the Century Tournament of Champions were all really good golfers. Last year, kind of, or last weekend was kind of a different story. But, uh, Yeah, it's going to be a good weekend. This is kind of like the official kickoff to the um, stateside part of the schedule where from here on out they're going to spend several weeks in California uh, before moving elsewhere. So it's going to be a good tournament. Uh, The Pro-Am kick to it kind of makes it interesting if you're looking for something other than just regular uh, golf tournament. But definitely uh, tune into that if you want to see some good golf this weekend. But move over to the National Football League and do a recap of Super Wild Card Weekend. Last week, uh, we went through each game. I gave you my predictions for those games, and we'll get into how I did here in just a minute. But heading into the weekend, of course, there were uh, only one bye, bye week team in each conference. The AFC was the Tennessee Titans, and the NFC was the Green Bay Packers. Neither of those teams played as they finished as the top overall seed in their conference. So there were six games this past weekend for Super Wild Card Weekend, three from each conference, and the matchups on paper looked pretty good. A lot of them looked like they were going to be close games, but uh, such was not the case. We only had two close games out of the six. Four of them were blowouts. A couple of them were really bad blowouts, and in fact, uh, there were no lead changes in the second half of any of the wildcard games this past weekend, which is really unbelievable when you think about it. It's supposed to be good competitive football back and forth, and that just simply was not the case. No lead changes at all in the second half of any of the six games. So we'll recap by starting out. The first game was on Saturday, and that was in the AFC. Number five Las Vegas Raiders traveled to Cincinnati to take on the number four Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the, the two teams had played back in week 11 in Vegas, and Cincinnati had won that one 32-13. Well, they ended up winning this game 26-19, to which gave Cincinnati its first playoff win since 1990, which eliminated a 31-year drought, which that was the longest active drought for a playoff victory among any of the four major pro sports leagues. So quite an accomplishment there for the Bengals. Uh, Joe Burrow looked sharp crisp he was 24 or 34 for 244 yards two touchdowns rookie wide receiver Jamar Chase had nine catches for 116 yards now the controversial play that happened in the second quarter uh, Joe Burrow got pressured he scrambled to the right to avoid the pressure got really close to the sideline and as he was pretty much at the sideline I think one leg was in the air uh, over the over the sideline he fired a pass to Tyler Boyd in the back of the end zone for a touchdown but there was a whistle that the ref had blown halfway through that pass before the ball got to Boyd which should have stopped the play uh, i guess the ref blew the whistle because he thought burrow had stepped out of bounds well they uh, reviewed it there was uh, burrow was clearly in bounds the entire time in real speed live live speed real time it looked like Burrow had stepped out, so they they blew the whistle, which should have been a replay of down. Now, they called it a touchdown uh, still, uh, but which supposedly was the incorrect call. But in my opinion, you were going to screw one team or the other either way because if you blow it dead, you screw Cincinnati out of a touchdown. Not to say that they wouldn't have scored a couple plays later, but the point is is you would have taken away a Cincinnati touchdown – and the way it stood was it got called a touchdown, even though it should have been blown dead, which screws Vegas. So no matter how you slice it, one team was going to get screwed. Well, it was the Raiders that got screwed uh, on that particular play, which it, it should have. the whistle should have never happened in the first place because Burrow was never out of bounds. It was a perfect play. So after that game, the NFL came out and said that uh, referee Jerome Boger, uh, who I believe is a 17-year veteran uh, of the NFL – Uh, and his officiating crew, they would not be working any more games this postseason. So pretty interesting note there. So the second game on Saturday was also in the AFC. It was the number six New England Patriots traveling to Buffalo to take on the number three Buffalo Bills. This game obviously was a rematch. AFC East division rivals, they both played. They played twice in the regular season. Uh, Week 13 was in Buffalo, New England won that one. It was the really bad weather game—really cold, heavy winds—and then again in Week 16 they met in New England, and Buffalo won that one. So they had split the season series, each winning on the road. Uh, the game time temp for this one was seven degrees. Uh, with the wind chill, it felt like negative five out there. You could tell it was freezing. You could see them breathing. Uh, it was—it was just looked super, super cold. Probably colder then uh, I think it was like the fourth or fifth coldest game in NFL history. Uh, it was colder than when the teams met in Buffalo in week 13. It, the, the wind just wasn't as bad as it was that night. But nonetheless, uh, Buffalo was ready to play in that cold weather. New England was not. It was just a complete domination by the Bills. They ended up winning 47-17. to 17. Uh, Just complete clinic put on by the Bills. They became the first team since 2018 to score a touchdown on their first four drives. In fact, Buffalo played uh, a perfect offensive game, literally a perfect game. They scored a touchdown on their first seven possessions, which made them the first team in NFL history uh, to play a perfect game, which is going an entire game without punting, kicking a field goal, or turning the ball over. They scored a touchdown on every single one of their drives until the last drive when they – took knee downs. Uh, So just an unbelievable performance. Josh Allen was exceptional. He had 308 yards passing, five passing touchdowns, six carries for 66 yards. Just completely dominated the Patriots. Belichick looked lost. Um, It's not surprising that Buffalo won. They were the higher seed. They were at home, and Josh Allen played the way he did. So it wasn't surprising that they won. It was surprising how they won. So Bills just completely dominated Uh, the Patriots so those two Saturday games uh, took place that was one close game Vegas in that first game Vegas had a chance to tie it on the last drive uh, but but couldn't get it to go so uh, that one came down to the last drive and then we had to blow out there obviously in Buffalo Sunday there were three games it started off in the early window in the NFC the number seven Philadelphia Eagles Traveled to Tampa Bay to take on the number two seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, this one, uh, these two teams met back in week six in Philly, and Tampa Bay had won that one 28-22. That was a close game. This one, however, was not. Uh, it was never, ever close. The Buccaneers got up 31 to nothing at one point. Philadelphia got a couple of second-half touchdowns, two-point conversion to make it a, a two-score game, but it was never really any closer than that Um, the score actually makes it appear closer than it was but uh, I'm considering this game I told you there were two close ones and four blowouts I'm I'm considering this one a blowout just because it was 31 nothing at halftime Tom Brady was 29 of 37 271 yards and two touchdowns so uh, basically status quo for a Tom Brady led team in the playoffs. So the Buccaneers move on there. The middle game was also in the NFC. That was the number six San Francisco 49ers at the number three Dallas Cowboys. My Dallas Cowboys. This was the only wild card matchup that was not a rematch of a regular season game. Uh, and this one actually turned out to be the most watched wild card game since 2015. Saw a stat that said CBS drew. million viewers between CBS and Nickelodeon. Of course, the game was also broadcasted on Nickelodeon. You've probably seen some memes or uh, maybe you tuned into the Nickelodeon broadcast. That's pretty funny. Uh, But towards the end of the game, the game peaked at 50.2 million viewers. So it was a highly watched game. It was the uh, only wildcard matchup in history between two teams that had five Super Bowl victories in their franchise history. Uh, This one... Uh, Dallas just came out flat, Uh, just it it was absolutely atrocious. They didn't start playing until the third quarter. San Francisco actually had gotten up 23 to seven before the Cowboys got 10 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, The game ended on a weird play. Dallas got the ball back with like 40 seconds left, no timeouts, threw a few sideline plays, and then San Francisco played sideline defense, which left the middle open with 14 seconds left. Dak Prescott, uh, the ball was, I think, at the 40-yard line, somewhere around the 40. He ran it for 17 yards up the middle uh, to get it to the 24-yard line and slid. There were no timeouts. Um, they had trouble getting the ball set. They ran up to the line, got it. They were waiting on the ref or the the line judge. line judge actually bumped into Dak Prescott, kind of knocked him over, and by the time the line judge touched the ball to reset it, and Dak snapped it, the the clock had already run out. So that was a close game in the fact that uh, Dallas was on the 24-yard line uh, as the clock ran out. Um, The first half was just all San Francisco. The second half, Dallas finally showed up, uh, but that was too little too late. Dallas actually had 14 penalties in that game, which was the second most penalties in a game in postseason history. Uh, Four of those 14 gave the 49ers a first down, including a couple of really, really big ones uh and it was just uh, very frustrating as a Cowboys fan i'm still uh, absolutely livid over how that went down uh, Cowboys are certainly a better team uh, on paper have more talent than the 49ers but that's why the game's played it's not one on paper it's played on the field and the Cowboys uh, took it on the chin in that one and i you know what's funny is i, I was excited that Dallas had moved up. i talked about this last week I was ex- excited that the Cowboys had moved up to the 3 seed because I I would rather play Garoppolo uh instead of Kyler Murray or Matt Stafford. Um but turns out uh Dallas was the only higher seed to lose a game in the wild card round. Every home team won a game. Uh, won their game except for Dallas. So um yeah, just uh, again as a Cowboys fan, I'm I'm horribly pissed, disappointed and I really don't know What's next for this team? But the the final game on Sunday night was in the AFC. It was the number seven Pittsburgh Steelers against the number two seeded Kansas City Chiefs, and this game was at Arrowhead. These two teams met back at uh, in Week sixteen, just a few weeks ago in Arrowhead, and Kansas City just beat the hell out of them, thirty six to ten. Well, this game was actually uh, pretty close in the first half. Pittsburgh actually it was scoreless after the first quarter. Then Pittsburgh scored first uh, when they recovered a fumble. TJ Watt recovered a fumble and scored his first career NFL touchdown on that fumble, which I was surprised to see with how active Watt is and how many sacks he's got and and just how consistently good he is. I would have lost a bet uh, if that being that that was his first NFL touchdown. If somebody were to bet me that that was his first, I, I definitely. Would not have believed that, but it was. Uh, but then Mahomes and Kansas City ended up going to work after getting down seven nothing. They scored three unanswered touchdowns in the second quarter to take a twenty one seven lead at half. Mahomes ended up finishing thirty for thirty nine, four hundred and four yards, five touchdown passes. Uh, Travis Kelsey had five catches for one hundred and eight yards and a touchdown. He also threw a touchdown pass, and Kansas City won the game forty two to twenty one. So uh basically that that game was a, a complete blowout uh, it was never even really once it was 7 nothing pittsburgh kansas city just turned it on and uh, never looked back and this was quite possibly Ben Roethlisberger's final NFL game he's yet to make a formal announcement on retirement but i would be absolutely shocked if he played next year just with how uh low quality his his play was the last well most of the season really but specifically the last half uh but then the final wild card game was on Monday night first time we've ever had a monday night wild card game it was in the NFC it was the number 5 Arizona Cardinals traveling to SoFi Stadium to, in Inglewood, California to take on the number 4 seeded Los Angeles Rams now this is an NFC West division rival they played twice during the regular season once in week 4 in Los Angeles and Arizona won that one 37-20 and then they played again in week 14 in Arizona, and the Rams won that one 30-23. to So they split the season series with each team winning on the road, just like the Bills-Patriots series. And uh, Arizona just looked like complete trash in this one. Uh, the Rams got up 21-0 at halftime. They had a pick six from inside the five-yard line. Kyler Murray made a bad decision to kind of chuck the ball up as he was getting sacked in the end zone. So instead of a safety, it cost him a touchdown. Um, Cardinals only had 40 yards of offense in the first half. Murray only had 28 passing yards in the first half. Just uh, absolutely horrible performance. Uh, Matthew Stafford, the Rams ended up winning 34-11. to 11. Wasn't even that close. Uh, Cardinals scored late, got a two-point conversion to make it to that 11 uh, number but Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford it's his 13th season in the league and he finally won his first playoff game so he got got off the schneid there he didn't even have to really work too hard yeah he threw he only threw 17 passes he was 13 of 17 for 202 yards and a touchdown he also added a rushing touchdown on the ground uh, running back Cam Akers he had a big game with uh, 95 total yards and that doesn't sound big but This game was 173 days after he tore his Achilles uh, back in uh, training camp. So he figured to be out for the year. He rehabbed above and beyond what he was expected to do. And just six months after tearing his Achilles, he was back in action and looked pretty dominant, to be quite honest. Um, I would expect his role to be increased here this week in the divisional round. But uh, after seeing this game, I really wish Dallas would have stayed as the number four seed and played Arizona instead of San Francisco because uh, the way that the Cardinals looked, I mean, Dallas would have had their way with them. Even with how shitty they played against San Francisco, uh, I think Dallas would have definitely crushed Arizona there uh, because it was looking like Dallas was going to play Arizona for the uh, wild card round up until – the Rams lost to the 49ers uh, in week 18 but that brings us to the divisional round playoff matchups I ended up going five and one in my wild card round picks so I I actually picked all the higher seeds now I explained my reasoning why but I picked all the higher seeds in the wild card round and uh, Dallas was the only team that I got wrong so I went five and one in the wild card round that brings us to the divisional round matchups. There's two games on Saturday and two games on Sunday. The first game on Saturday is in the AFC. It's number four Cincinnati traveling to Nashville to take on the number one seeded Tennessee Titans. This game's on uh, at 4.30 Eastern on CBS. The teams did not play each other in the regular season, so this is not a rematch from this year, uh, I believe, The Titans are going to have running back Derrick Henry back. He was activated from the IR a couple of weeks ago, back in week 18. He's been practicing. He's been looking good. Who knows what his workload is going to be? You know, obviously health will be a factor coming off a broken foot and surgery to repair that. Conditioning may be an issue. But then again, it's Derrick Henry, and uh, he is an absolute specimen. Now, the Titans ended up as the number one seed, but I don't think they're the best team in the AFC and frankly I don't think they're the I think they're probably the third best team in this conference so um, I, I don't they ended up as a number one seed due to tie breaks but uh, I, here's my pick uh, you gotta right you, you can't hate Derrick Henry even if he comes back at say 50% you still like Derrick Henry now the Titans defense has played pretty well this year but the Cincinnati Bengals, they played last week. They're sharp. They're fresh. They stayed healthy in that game. Nobody uh, of, of importance got hurt. I know Trey Hendrickson kind of got banged up. We'll see what his status is. Uh, the edge rusher there for the Bengals. But they they came out of that game relatively healthy. And I like Joe Burrow more than I like Ryan Tannehill. And, yes, the Titans have A.J. Brown on the outside. Uh, but Julio Jones is is – hot trash at this point in his career. I'm not worried about him. Um, That combination of Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow is just something that I do not want any part of. And uh, I think Cincinnati goes into Nashville. This is a one-game, winner-take-all. And uh, give me the Bengals. I think Tennessee's going to come in thinking that they're the higher seed and that they're going to win the game. And I think Cincinnati is going to beat the Titans to move on to the AFC Championship game. The second game on Saturday is in the NFC, and that's Saturday night, eight fifteen Eastern on Fox. It's the number six San Francisco 49ers taking on uh, number one-seeded Green Bay Packers. This game's at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. Of course, uh, Packers had the week off last week just like the Titans did. So these two teams met back in week three this year. The game was in Santa Clara, California, and the Packers ended up winning 30-28. to 28. So it was a close game. Now Lambeau Field is obviously a huge advantage for the Packers, uh, and so is Aaron Rodgers, frankly. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, I like Kyle Shanahan as a coach, but I like Matt LaFleur more. So uh, the Packers have home field advantage, they have – a quarterback advantage and a head coach advantage. So the only issue for this game, uh, the fact that I think it's going to be closer. I think this is the largest point spread. I think Green Bay is sitting at minus five and a half points right now, which is the the highest amongst the four games this weekend. But I would not be surprised if San Francisco covers the spread, um, just because of that run game. You know, you saw what San Francisco's running game did. Uh, to Dallas last weekend they just run the ball down your throat and when you can't take it they run it some more uh, Debo Samuel is he a running back is he a wide receiver who the hell knows the dude keeps running touchdowns in from anywhere on the field so I think that is going to be highly problematic for Green Bay's run defense I think uh, Green Bay's getting Zadarius Smith back their their pass rusher so we'll see um, how close it is uh, now this is very interesting Aaron Rodgers in his Career is 0 3 against San Francisco in the playoffs. In his career, he lost in the 2012 divisional round, um, lost in the 2013 wildcard round, and lost again in the 2019 NFC championship game, all to San Francisco. He's 0 3 against them. That streak's got to break at some point. And with the way that Rodgers has played this year, the fact that he's at home, the fact that he's healthy. He's got a healthy complement of weapons on offense between Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard. Um, I think the Packers are going to win this game, but I do think that San Francisco covers the 5.5-point spread that they are um, getting right now. So uh, give me the Packers to win that one on Saturday night. On Sunday, first game on Sunday is at 3 o'clock Eastern. That's on NBC. It's the number 4 seed Los Angeles Rams going to Tampa Bay to take on the number 2 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. These two teams played back in Week 3. The game was in Los Angeles, and the Rams actually won that one 34-24. Now, both of these teams look way different than they did back in Week 3, so you can scrap that game, don't care about it. Uh, Tampa Bay has obviously taken a hit on the offensive side of the football, with Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown not there. Leonard Fournette didn't play last week. Not sure if he's going to play this week. We'll see. But the most important piece of information from Tampa is that last week, their all-pro right tackle, Tristan Wirfs, uh, second-year tackle, absolutely amazing player. He suffered an ankle sprain in that one. He actually missed the entire second half of that Eagles game last week. With that ankle sprain, he tried to come back and then kind of re-injured it. So his status—he left that—he uh, left Sunday's game in a walking boot. So uh, they've already said his status is in jeopardy. So even if Tristan Wirfs plays, he's not going to be a hundred percent. And the Rams, oh yeah, okay. So they—they they added since week three. They've added Odell Beckham Jr. and Von Miller, who happens to be a premier pass rusher. Uh, to go along with Aaron Donald and that trio of athletic linebackers they have. So uh, it's going to be a severe challenge for that Buccaneers' offensive line, but I think it's really going to be detrimental uh, to the Buccaneers if Tristan Wirfs can't play. I think this game is – not to say that it hinges on that, but uh, I don't – you know, it's going to be bad news if Wirfs doesn't play. Or is he's less than a hundred percent? Because the Rams, the way they looked in that game against Arizona, they showed some tenacity. They were all over the ball, you know, on offense. Matt Stafford, he looked poised, in control, uh, didn't really have to sweat. Now, I certainly don't think that betting against Tom Brady in the playoffs is a good idea. He just had his thirty-fifth career playoff victory last week, but with the way that both of these teams are playing at the moment with the health that they have, I think the Rams are a better team. Yes, they beat them in Week 3, the Rams did, but again, uh, the Buccaneers have gotten worse talent-wise since Week 3 due to injuries and whatnot, and the Rams have only gotten better. So uh, I don't see... I know the game's in Tampa Bay, but I don't care about that. I'm taking the Los Angeles Rams to go into Tampa Bay and knock off Tom Brady and the Bucks. And then the final game of the divisional round is Sunday night, 6.30 Eastern on CBS. It's in the AFC. It's the number three Buffalo Bills traveling to Arrowhead to take on the number two Kansas City Chiefs. These two teams played back in week five. The game was also at Arrowhead. And Buffalo just dominated Kansas City thirty eight to twenty. Now, this is the best matchup of the weekend on paper for sure uh this game you got Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen. both of those guys threw five touchdown passes last week in the uh, wild card round uh, Now, when these two teams met back in week five, Kansas City's defense was very shoddy they They were not playing well at all and They really raised their level of play the last seven or eight weeks to be kind of a formidable defense. The problem is that Buffalo has just as good of a defense, probably better, honestly. They're more stout up front. Uh, They have better secondary with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. So if Josh Allen plays the way – this is the key to the whole thing. If Josh Allen plays like he did last week or remotely close to what he did last week, I don't think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I think Buffalo's going to go in there and wreck shop again. Uh, I'm picking the Bills to beat the Chiefs in this game. I think this is the year that Buffalo gets over the hump and uh, manages to eliminate Kansas City. I know they won earlier this year, but I'm not really factoring that in. I'm strictly looking at how uh, the teams kind of progress throughout the year. It's kind of a down year for Mahomes in terms of what you would have expected coming into the year. Kansas City's offense has changed to a more slower, methodical offense uh, with the ability to quick strike, certainly when needed. But um, I just think if it's a battle of defenses, I like Buffalo's better. And uh, Allen has to play like he did last week uh, because he can beat you in the air with that cannon he's got, and he can beat you on the ground because he's got some wheels as well. So um, I'm picking Buffalo to win in Kansas City. Uh, I can't say I love the pick because the Chiefs are really good, but uh, I would not be surprised if either, you know, whichever team wins this game, uh, I would not be surprised. But uh, either way, that's that's going to bring, you know, that's, that's going to be a really good divisional round here uh, this weekend. This is probably the best weekend of football. Uh, it's the last time we'll have more than two games in, in a weekend because next week we move to two games, and then two weeks after that's the Super Bowl. So uh, this is probably the last, last week with multiple games going on, and so I'll definitely be tuned in to all four of those games. And uh, just to recap, I picked Cincinnati over Tennessee, Green Bay over San Francisco, Los Angeles over Tampa Bay, and Buffalo over Kansas City. So we'll do a recap next week's episode and uh, talk about how all of those four games played out. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a standings update here in the NHL. And the COVID situation is still very fluid here in the NHL. Uh, This past week, several more guys made their NHL debut, bringing the total number of NHL players used so far this season to 1,013, which is a new record for an entire season. And we, we got that with 53% of the schedule still left to be played. So that just goes to show you how COVID has impacted the NHL. Now, the biggest news out of the NHL came the other day when the NHL announced that they are going to stop testing asymptomatic players after the All-Star break, which is absolutely huge news. Uh, this, I, frankly, I'm not sure why they're testing asymptomatic people, uh, because asymptomatic people shouldn't get tested. You don't have a reason to go get tested if you're not feeling sick. So, just, you know, I I think the NHL is doing it right here by moving to this, and this is going to eliminate a lot of positive cases. Now, all players are still going to get tested before cross-border travel between the United States and Canada. And that's simply a requirement of the Canadian government. So we should see the games in Canada being resumed on a more regular basis here after the All-Star break. Uh, But the main news is that starting in a few weeks, uh, only players showing symptoms uh, of illness are going to be tested for COVID. So uh, that is certainly some good news in the NHL And we'll get some of these games uh, played here. But we're going to start off the standings update in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is just absolutely top-heavy. There are seven teams with more than 50 points as it sits right now compared to just three such teams in the Western Conference. So uh, the Eastern Conference has been far superior to the West in terms of – Teams, talent of those teams. In the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes continue to just be an absolute wagon. They're 26, 8, and 2, won 7 out of their last 10, uh, looking really good. New York Rangers, 25, 10, and 4. Washington Capitals, 22, 9, and 9. The Pittsburgh Penguins are 23, 10, and 5. They've won 8 out of their last 10. Um, they just got Evgeny Melkin back into their lineup. He had missed all of the years so far from uh, recovering from an injury. So he just got back into the lineup. That should be a big boost for the Penguins getting him back. Columbus is 17, 18, and 1. Philadelphia is 13, 18, and 8. New Jersey, Devils, 14, 18, and 5. And then the New York Islanders are 13, 13, and 6. Over in the Atlantic Division, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they currently have the highest point total in the league with 59 points. They're 27-9-5. They're on a four-game winning streak currently. Uh, Braden Point has returned to the lineup, and so too has uh, Nikita Kucherov. He is an absolute key to that offense. He's probably their best player. And in his first game back from injury, he had a hat trick. So you can see just how valuable Kucherov is to that lineup. The Florida Panthers are keeping pace with the Lightning. They're 26-8-5. and five. They've won eight out of their last ten. Uh, they scored, I think, over the last eight games. They have over 50 goals in their last eight games, which is just unbelievable. That offense can score in bunches. Uh, they lead the league in goals four with 159. And uh, they're just fun to watch. Toronto Maple Leafs are 24-9-3. and three. Boston Bruins are 22, 12, and 2. They've won 8 out of their last 10. They're looking really good. They're kind of pulling clear of Detroit. The Red Wings are 18, 17, and 5. Buffalo Sabres, 12, 20, and 7. Ottawa Senators, 11, 19, and 2. And the Montreal Canadiens, 8, 25, and 5. They've only won uh, 8 out of... 38 games, which is just putrid. They did win the other night here in Dallas, which I'll get into in a minute. Over in the Western Conference, Central Division, the Colorado Avalanche are 25-8-3. and 3. They have won three in a row, eight out of their last ten. They're actually riding a 13-game home winning streak right now, so they're pretty much unbeatable at home. And they have finally gotten to the point where we all expected the Avalanche to be this year at the top of the Central. St. Louis Blues are 23-11-5. They've won seven out of their last ten. The Nashville Predators are 24-14-3. They're on a two-game skid, but they're still uh, the the final team in the West with 50 points. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, they're 22-10-3. This past week, they had a game in which they scored two goals in four seconds, which is almost impossible, but... Uh, they ended up doing that. There was a lot of teams that scored back-to-back goals, uh, very quick, uh, very quick apart. Yeah, uh, if that makes sense. Like the time frame between the two goals was was very, very little. And uh, there was multiple games this week in which that happened. But two goals in four seconds is pretty impressive. The Winnipeg Jets are seventeen, twelve, and six, and then my Dallas Stars. They're sixth in the Central right now. They're 18-16-2. They're on a three-game skid, and they just lost the other night at home. They were uh, the second-best home team in the league this year since the season started, and they lost at home to the Montreal Canadiens who had seven wins going into that game out of 37 games. And I've been saying this the last few episodes. I don't know what the Dallas Stars are. Because they'll win a few games, they'll lose a few games, they'll win a few games, they'll lose a few But the jury's out. I know exactly what the Dallas Stars are, and they're complete dog shit. And that makes me upset because they're my favorite team, but I'm I'm throwing in the towel on this year. They are absolutely trash. They're not making the playoffs. They're going to be mediocre to subpar at best. Um, they're currently 18-16-2, like I said, and just – um, yeah, the jury's out on them. The stars are trash. Hank John Klingberg is about to get traded. We'll see where he goes. There's been quite a bit of talk ramping up about that. Uh, seventh in the Central's, Chicago Blackhawks, 15, 18, and 6. And then the Arizona Coyotes are 9, 24, and 4. Over in the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights are 23, 15, and 2. Los Angeles Kings, 20, 15, and 5. They've won six out of their last ten. Anaheim Ducks are uh, 19, 15, and 7. They're on a three-game losing streak. San Jose Sharks, 21, 17, and 2. The other day, this past weekend, uh, I think it was maybe Monday, uh, this past week, Sharks forward Timo Meyer got named to the All-Star game. Uh, He scored five goals in a game. Uh, this past week, which is makes him the first ever Sharks player to do so. Pretty impressive stuff there. Calgary Flames are 18, 11, and 6. They've only won three times in their last 10. Vancouver Canucks are 18, 18, and 3. Uh, last week I said I mentioned Elaine Vigneault being their coach. It's Bruce Boudreaux. So I misspoke there. But Bruce Boudreaux, since he took over, he's kind of got this team steered in the right direction. They've won six out of their last 10. They won the first seven games that Boudreaux coach, but uh, nonetheless, I, I, I just don't see them climbing into that top three or four range that they need to be for the playoffs, but keep an eye on them. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers continue to go in the wrong direction. They're 18, 15 and two. Uh, they've only won twice in their last 10. They're on a three game losing streak. It's visible frustration out there. You can see uh, Leon Dreisaitl, they're all star forward. He, Kind of got short with the media the other day when they were asking about what was going on why this losing streak was happening. So you can see there's clearly frustration building in Edmonton. And then the Seattle Kraken are 11, 23, and 4. They've only won once in their last 10. So uh, most teams have played around 40 games, uh, give or take, between 36 to 40. A couple of teams have played 32 games. Um, So we're... You know, we still got over 50% of the schedule left to be played. We've already used over a 1,000 players here in the NHL this year, which is a new record. So um, I do think moving forward, though, after the All-Star break, we should see quite a bit of improvement in the COVID test, the positive cases. And I think we'll um, get back to – due to the fact that, of course, the NHL is going to stop testing asymptomatic players, I think that will help get our – get the schedule back on track to where we'll be able to have hockey with regularity instead of all these postponements that we've been having. But uh, it's going to be pretty interesting to see uh, the all-star game rosters were announced, which we'll go over in our around the Island portion. But that brings us over to the NBA. We'll do a standings update here in the NBA starting off in the Eastern Conference the Chicago Bulls are still up top at twenty-seven and fifteen, although they've lost four games in a row. The Miami Heat are twenty-eight and sixteen. Actually, have the most wins in the conference, uh, but their winning percentage is slightly less than Chicago's. Uh, they've won seven out of their last ten. They're looking really good. Uh, Tyler Hero is making his case game by game uh, to be the sixth man of the year, without a doubt. Uh, number three is the Brooklyn Nets at 27-16. and 16. Now, they've only won four times in their last ten. They got Kyrie Irving back for road games. There's been talk that maybe he'll somehow uh, finagle his way onto the home games uh, as well, but Kyrie's playing uh, the road games. Now, they did lose Kevin Durant this past week. Uh, he got rolled up on on a play by his own teammate, Sprained his left MCL, so that's going to keep Durant out for four to six weeks. So that's a huge blow for the Nets. Uh, Obviously, Durant's top three player in the game, and so you lose him. You still have James Harden every night, and then you got Kyrie Irving on road games. So the team is still probably fine. Um, They're certainly going to make the playoffs, but uh, they'll be without Durant for the next month. The Cleveland Cavaliers are 4th in the East at 27 and 18. They're on a 5-game winning streak right now. 7 out of their last 10 they've won, so they're playing some good basketball. The Milwaukee Bucks, they're 27 and 19. Uh they've only won 4 times in their last 10. And the Philadelphia 76ers, they're 25 and 18. They've kind of made a little resurgence here. They've won 8 out of their last 10. Charlotte Hornets are 7th at 24 and 20. Washington Wizards are 23 and 21. Toronto Raptors are uh, 21 and 20. And then the Boston Celtics are 23 and 22. Um, They've won seven out of their last 10, so they're kind of trending in the right direction. The New York Knicks are the 11th seed currently at 22 and 23. They've lost two in a row. Now, they did, the Knicks did acquire Cam Reddish from the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for forward Kevin Knox and a protected first round pick in this year's draft. So the Hawks are the Knicks are the 11 seed, the Hawks are the 12 seed at uh 18 and 25. So those two teams basically uh swapped former first round picks. Both of them were former uh top 10 picks, I believe, top 15 picks. They both needed a change of scenery. So Cam Reddish goes to the Knicks and Kevin Knox goes to the Hawks. So we'll see how that does, but that was an interesting trade. 13th in the East is the Indiana Pacers at 15-29. They've only won one game out of their last 10. The Detroit Pistons are 10-33, and and the Orlando Magic are 8-37. They are the worst team in the NBA. They've only won once in their last 10. Over in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns are 34-9 to lead the way. They're on a four-game winning streak, winning eight out of their last 10. Uh, They look like they can't be slowed down. Uh, Devin Booker's playing uh, at an elite level, as we're used to seeing. Uh, number two is Golden State Warriors. They're 32-12. and 12. Um, They kind of got some bad news this week. Uh, Draymond Green, he's got a back injury that's going to keep him out uh, the a couple weeks. The uh, in a game the other night, I believe it was uh, on Tuesday night. Steph Curry got his finger jammed by a basketball on a pass, so... We'll see what his status is. But uh, obviously, Golden State, they got Klay Thompson back. They're firing on all cylinders. Uh, when they get Draymond Green back, they're going to be right up there with Phoenix. Number three seed is the Memphis Grizzlies. They're 31-15. and 15. They've actually won uh, nine out of their last ten. I told you they were on a ten-game winning streak, or eleven-game winning streak, uh, and they lost to, well, yeah, the Maver- the Dallas Mavericks ended the Memphis Grizzlies' eleven-game winning streak. This past week, so uh, Memphis did have eleven games in a row that they won. Their John ja Morant is certainly going to be an All Star, and he's playing ridiculous. The Utah Jazz are the fourth seed at twenty nine and fifteen. Dallas Mavericks twenty five and nineteen. They've actually won nine out of their last ten. The Mavericks are playing really good basketball. They've won three in a row, and that's that's making us happy here uh, in Dallas because obviously the Cowboys and the Stars continue to shit the bed so uh, the number six seed is the Denver Nuggets they're 22 and 20 Uh, number seven seed Minnesota Timberwolves at 22 and 22 the number eight seed in the west is the Los Angeles Lakers at 22 and 22 now they are getting Anthony Davis back soon he's began to ramp up his rehab they've been without him so it's just been LeBron and Russell Westbrook but To see the Lakers sitting at the 8th seed, 44 games into the season, I don't think anybody would have predicted that, especially with that trio of guys. The Los Angeles Clippers, though, are the ninth seed at 22-23. Again, very surprising. They've only won four times in their last 10. The number 10 seed, the Portland Trailblazers at 18-25. They did get C.J. McCollum back from injury this past week, but they lost Damian Lillard. So... Uh, Dame had a nagging abdominal injury that he's just decided to go ahead and have surgery to get fixed. So Damian Lillard's going to be out six to eight weeks. So that's a huge blow to Portland. They're number 10 right now, which keeps them in that play-in tournament for now. But uh, you have to be team 7 through 10 in both conferences uh, enter the play-in tournament to get into the playoffs. So uh, that's important for Portland there, uh, that's a key injury. McCollum's going to have to step up. The Sacramento Kings are 11th at 18 and 28. San Antonio Spurs are 16 and 28. They've only won twice out of their last 10. The New Orleans Pelicans 16 and 28. Oklahoma City Thunder uh, 14 and 29. And then the Houston Rockets are 13 and 32. So again, we're about 42 to 44 ish games through the NBA season, kind of right on pace with the NHL. Uh, more NBA teams have played more games than some uh, than the NHL teams. So I think a greater portion of the NBA schedule is complete uh, than the NHL, not by much, but I think uh, just with all the postponements that the NHL's had, I still think the NBA is set to finish maybe ahead of the NHL. But nonetheless – it's uh entertaining basketball season as well. So we'll have plenty of more news and updates. We got a trade, another trade, three-way trade that went down that we'll cover here in Around the Island. But that'll get us to the Around the Island segment. And around the island is where we do some quick news topics from all the various sports. We'll start off in the National Football League. And last episode, we had talked about five major head coach firings that had happened along with a couple of general manager firings. Well, we have one more of each in this past week. The head coaching firing uh, was the Houston Texans. They have fired head coach David Culley. Now, Culley was 65 years old. He had just spent one season as the head coach of the Texans. He got hired last offseason, and he ended up finishing 4-13 and 13 which was third in the AFC South. So he wasn't even last in his division. But Cully never really had a fair chance. Uh, the whole offseason was a complete dumpster fire with the Deshaun Watson news and all that. He Deshaun Watson never played a single down this season. And you couple that with the fact that Houston had traded away all their first-round, second-round picks. They, um, I didn't think they had a pick till the third round, and they took Davis Mills, quarterback, who ended up playing pretty well. But you you put all that together, and uh, Houston, David Culley, they were doomed from the start, which is kind of unfair. Now, the fact that Culley won four games with that roster uh, and that rookie quarterback uh, for most of the season, that was very impressive. Now, I'm not saying that David Culley's the right choice to be the Texans coach because I, I don't think that he was probably their best option even last year. Uh, but he did show some potential. Uh, I I doubt he gets another shot with another team, considering the the uh, high profile names that are available this off season. So I think Cully is probably done as a head coach. But uh, it just sucks that he kind of got he kind of got the uh, drew the short straw there on that one. Um, I understand why Houston did what they did, but uh, it just sucks for Cully because he was kind of set up for failure uh, with with everything that went on. But the general manager that got fired this past week was the Las Vegas Raiders general manager, Mike Mayock. And Mayock had spent three seasons as the Raiders' GM, and he was pretty much tied to John Groot since they got hired together. Uh, They came in together. They advocated for each other to both be on that team. Mike Mayock was an analyst, uh, scouting analyst for NFL Network, doing a lot of college football scouting and stuff. And he left that to go be the GM, and he was pretty successful. I mean, he got the Raiders to the playoffs this year with that roster despite all the turmoil that they had. So uh, now interim head coach Rich Bisaccia is still listed uh, as the interim coach, but uh, they are going to be interviewing other candidates. So we'll see how that goes. I I think Bisaccia earned at least one year as a head coach for the Raiders with, with all the crap that went down in the Raiders organization this year. To still get to the playoffs, I think he deserves at least another shot. I think the guys buy into him as the coach. Uh, But a couple episodes ago, I talked about the most highly watched football games uh, of the year. We went over, I think, the top top five, top ten football games that were viewed this year in terms of number of viewers. Well, I came across this graphic this past week that the total number of minutes of NFL football watched from this past season was over 370 billion with a B, which is an 18% increase from last year. Uh, and that just proves that football is king amongst all the sports. Um, you know, basketball certainly has a lot of viewers, you know, uh, then probably you know, baseball and hockey fall in, fall in line behind football and basketball. But Football is absolutely the king amongst sports. Uh, it just dominates out of the four major pro sports. But 370 billion minutes worth of NFL football watch. And, of course, that doesn't even count the playoffs that we just got done. I just told you there were 50 million people that watched the uh, Cowboys and 49ers game this past weekend. So uh, football is king in this country. Now, I, I did come across this meme also that uh, – Mentioned FedEx Field in Washington, D.C., which is home to the Washington football team. We'll be finding out here in a couple of weeks what their new name is going to be. But um, the meme showed how many injuries have happened recently at FedEx Field. And recent, as in, you know, the last five to 10 seasons, I guess. Um, Alex Smith and Kyle Allen broke their legs at FedEx Field. Ryan Fitzpatrick dislocated his hip. Robert Griffin III, Adrian Peterson, Joe Burrow, and Chase Young all tore their ACLs at FedEx Field, and then most recently, Jalen Hurts almost got crushed by the f- partition that collapsed when fans were leaning on it after the game as he was exiting the field. So uh, the meme basically said that FedEx Field is one of the most dangerous places <laughs> in the league, or certainly the most dangerous stadium to play in, and... Uh, I just thought that was interesting that all of those injuries have happened at FedEx Field. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League. The only piece of news is that uh, the NHL All-Star Game rosters have been announced. Um, They go by divisions. Every team, now keep in mind, every team has a representative. So even the teams at the bottom of the standings will send one guy. So the teams that got initially announced for the NHL All-Star Game will start off in the Atlantic Division. Uh, Drake Batherson of the Ottawa Senators, Patrice Bergeron of the Boston Bruins, Jack Campbell of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Rasmus Dallin, Buffalo Sabres, from the Tampa Bay Lightning, Victor Hedman and Andre Vasilevsky, Jonathan Huberdeau, Florida Panthers, Dylan Larkin, Detroit Red Wings, Uh, Austin Matthews, also from the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then Nick Suzuki from the Montreal Canadiens. In the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes are sending Sebastian Ajo and Frederick Anderson, uh, Adam Fox for the New York Rangers, Claude Giroux for the Philadelphia Flyers, Jack Hughes from the New Jersey Devils, Tristan Jari from the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, Chris Kreider, also from the New York Rangers, Alex Ovechkin from the Washington Capitals, uh, Adam Palick from the New York Islanders, and Zach Warensky from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division team, Kyle Connor of the Winnipeg Jets, Alex Debrinkit, Chicago Blackhawks, um, from the Minnesota Wild, you have Kirill Kaprizov and Cam Talbot, Clayton Keller from the Arizona Coyotes, Jordan Kyrou from the St. Louis Blues, Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr from the Colorado Avalanche, Joe Pavelski from the Dallas Stars, and UC Saros from the Nashville Predators. In the Pacific Division, Jordan Eberle from the Seattle Kraken, Thatcher Demko from the Vancouver Canucks, Leon Drysidel and Connor McDavid from the Edmonton Oilers, Johnny Goudreau from the Calgary Flames, John Gibson from the Anaheim Ducks, Adrian Kempe from the Los Angeles Kings, Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks, and from the Vegas Golden Knights, Alex Petrangelo and Mark Stone. Now, those were the rosters that were announced when the initial rosters came out. There was a fan vote to get one player from each division added to the game. So it was called the last man in, and each division is sending one additional guy, in addition to those we just listed, in the... uh, Metro, or we'll start off in the Atlantic Division. The Atlantic Division, it's uh, Stephen Stamkos, Tampa Bay Lightning. Metropolitan Division is Jake Gensel from the Pittsburgh Penguins. In the Central Division, it's Nazem Kadri, the Colorado Avalanche. And in the Pacific Division, it's Troy Terry of the Anaheim Ducks. So those four guys won the last man in vote. Uh, the All-Star Game is February 5th, so we're a couple weeks from that. So we'll uh, we'll have more coverage on that as we move along. But over in Major League Baseball, we're still in the lockout. Um, the only piece of news to report is that the two sides met for a bargaining session this past week in which the MLB made a new core economics proposal to Major League Baseball Players Association. And it was the first proposal that either side made since the lockout started and the both sides left the uh, meeting with no agreement reached. So that is not good news. There is still time to figure it out, although we're about a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting. So they need to kind of hurry and get that together if they want to play baseball this season. We did have a retirement in Major League Baseball, though. Longtime outfielder Melky Cabrera announced his retirement after 14 years. Uh, he began his career in 2005 and he last played in 2019. He played for a slew of teams, the Yankees, the Braves, the Giants, the Blue Jays, the White Sox, the Royals, the Indians, and most recently the Pittsburgh Pirates. He did win a World Series in 2009, and he made the All-Star Game in 2012, where he actually won the All-Star Game MVP that year. Finishes with a career .285 batting average, 144 home runs, and 854 runs. RBI's. So I do not believe he's going to get into the Hall of Fame, but um, he's a recognizable player just because of how many teams he's been on. Over in the NBA, I mentioned we had a three-way trade. Uh, Last episode, I talked about the Detroit Pistons acquiring Bull Bull from Denver. Well, that trade actually got voided due to the fact that Bull Bull did not pass his physical. So after that, Bull Bull still ended up getting traded. It was a three-way trade between the Boston Celtics, the Denver Nuggets, and the San Antonio Spurs. In this trade, San Antonio receives Juan Hernan Gomez, the Denver Nuggets receive Bryn Forbes, and the Boston Celtics receive Bol Bol. So after all that, Bol Bol ends up in Boston. So they also have Taco Fall, who I don't think has played much this year, but uh, they'll have two centers uh, that are over seven feet tall. Uh, over in college football, it's kind of where we'll, uh, we'll stay in college sports to finish it out. College football, we recapped the national championship game last week in depth, uh, but what I did not mention is that Georgia, in winning that national title, became the first three seed entering the college football playoffs to win the national title. Uh, Since the college football playoff format has gone down, there have been two number one seeds to win, which was 2020 and 2021, the last two years between uh, Alabama and LSU. Three of the number two seeds have won it in 2016, 2017, and 2019. You had Clemson twice and Alabama once in that. And two of the number four seeds have won it, uh, 2015-2018, between Ohio State and Alabama so I just thought it was interesting that Georgia was the first number three seed to win the national title uh, but some transfer portal news this thing's still staying red hot a couple of Alabama players uh, notable Alabama players transferred this past week first one was uh, former five-star linebacker Drew Sanders he's actually from uh, uh, Denton Texas here he uh, is a 6'5", 230-pound linebacker. Uh, he played a little bit this year, um, but the emergence of Dallas Turner, uh, that sensational freshman, kind of forced him out. But uh, Drew Sanders transferred from Alabama over to Arkansas, so he'll stay in the SEC. And then another significant Alabama transfer is tight end Jaleel Billingsley. He uh, kind of got phased out. He had a great year last year, uh, but this year – wasn't utilized as much as he would like. Well, he's transferring from Alabama over to my Texas Longhorns, and so I am super stoked about that. He's a freakishly athletic tight end, so he gets to reunite with Steve Sarkeesian here at Texas, and he should be a day one starter and have an immediate impact. Uh, we lost one one tight end to graduation and one to transfer, so Jaleel Billingsley is the day one starter at tight end for Texas and I would expect his draft stock to skyrocket this next year at Texas. Some other key transfers, uh, Oregon running back Travis Dye. He's entered the transfer portal, has not made a decision yet. He ran for over 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns this year with the Ducks. Um, I think he's. if he has another good year, I think he'll, he'll be a high draft pick after next season, so I'm curious to see where he ends up. He's tough to bring down. Uh, Oklahoma wide receiver Mario Williams, we talked about him and quarterback Caleb Williams both entering the uh, portal together. Well, Mario Williams announced that he is transferring to USC to reunite with Lincoln Riley. Big freaking shock there. So if it wasn't clear as day before that Caleb Williams is going to USC, this should solidify that decision. Um, Those two came in together as freshmen at OU to play for Lincoln Riley, and I would fully expect the announcement on Caleb Williams to USC to come in the very near future. Former Florida State quarterback uh, Chuba Purdy, he transferred from Florida State over to Nebraska, which gives Nebraska some good quarterback competition because uh, former Texas quarterback Casey Thompson just transferred there last uh, week before last, so... Uh, interesting choice there for Purdy and then the son of NFL Hall of Fame wide receiver Jerry Rice is Brendan Rice and Brendan Rice has announced that he is transferring from Colorado to USC to be a part of that high-flying Lincoln Riley offense now in Colorado this past year Brendan Rice he only had like 299 yards receiving and three touchdowns so it really wasn't a factor but uh, I think going to Lincoln Riley's Offense is certainly going to be beneficial for him, and uh, I would expect his numbers to probably increase from there unless they keep getting transfer talent, which seems to be uh, happening on a weekly basis here. But a couple, over the past couple episodes, I've mentioned uh, that the University of Texas had been meeting with former TCU head coach Gary Patterson about a possible coaching position. Well, uh, this past week... Gary Patterson was spotted in Austin pretty much all weekend long. Uh, I think Monday night or Tuesday night this past week, he went to a Texas basketball game. He wore a a Texas polo, and then uh, the next day they went ahead and made it official. They announced that Texas has hired Gary Patterson uh, as an on-field coach with a role of special assistant to Steve Sarkeesian. So this is huge news for Texas. It's a great hire. Patterson is an absolute defensive wizard, and that's going to help Texas's porous defense that has kind of developed uh, over the past couple years. And I, I think with the on-field role, certainly going to be very helpful for uh, Texas. But um, the last piece of college football news, the deadline for all underclassmen to declare for the NFL draft passed this past week, I believe, uh, on Monday was the deadline for them to declare. We've already talked about some of these names on this list, but a couple other bigger names uh, that maybe we haven't mentioned. David Bell, the wide receiver from Purdue. Very likely he might be a first-round pick. Uh, Slade Bolden, wide receiver from Alabama. He uh, He's found a nice niche as a slot receiver. I think he'll kind of be like a Wes Welker slash Julian Edelman type in the NFL. Uh, Oklahoma linebacker Nick Benito, Oklahoma kicker Gabe Berkich. Uh, he was very accurate this year. I can see him being a pretty successful NFL kicker. Uh, Georgia safety Lewis Seen, who is actually from here in Texas, Cedar Hill, Dallas area kid. He won uh, defensive MVP for the national title game. He is declared. Um, we know about some of these other ones here. Let's see, Kair Elam, cornerback from Florida. Uh, He's projected to be borderline first-round pick. Jerome Ford, the running back for Cincinnati, he's declared. Uh, We knew about some of the other ones. Christian Harris, the linebacker from Alabama, he had a good national championship game. Probably his best game he played all year was in the natty, and uh, he's declared. A couple of Michigan players, running back Hassan Haskins and cornerback Daxton Hill, they both declared. Uh, let's see, Drake London, wide receiver for USC, got hurt um, about week seven, I think, but he's 6'5", 210 pounds. He is just absolutely a beast. Um, He should be ready to go. Uh, Michigan State wide receiver Jalen Naylor, he has declared. And Michigan defensive end David Ajabo has also. Uh, Georgia wide receiver George Pickens, he had that 52-yard catch in the national championship game. A couple of wide receivers, uh, former Oklahoma, now Miami, wide receiver Charleston Rambo, he's declared. And then Kentucky wide receiver Wandale Robinson. I mentioned him a couple episodes ago. Clemson wide receiver Justin Ross. Texas A&M running back Isaiah Spiller. And uh, that's pretty much... The ones we we pretty much go, Georgia running back, Zamir White, uh, and then Alabama wide receiver Jamison Williams. I I mentioned last week I wasn't sure if he had declared. He has officially declared, and he should definitely be a first-round pick. But um, moving over to college basketball for a second, Uh, again, I don't know that we need to go into a full rankings update, although they have changed Uh, Baylor. Baylor is number five this week after losing two games at home. They they lost, of course, to Texas Tech that we talked about last week. And then later in the week, they lost to Oklahoma State. They became the first AP number one team to ever lose two home games in the same week. Um, So Gonzaga, they've reclaimed the number one spot uh, in the rankings. I know Duke was number six entering the week and they just lost to Florida State the other night uh in Florida State so um we should be able to hit college basketball next week and that should look vastly different from the rankings updates that we did uh on the last uh last time we did it an episode or two ago but uh that's going to wrap up this episode it's going to be a uh, an exciting weekend of football um, definitely going to be tuned in to the four wild card games this weekend, or uh, divisional round games rather. So, uh, next episode, next week, we'll uh, we'll recap all those and uh, get you caught up on all the rest of the news and info. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.